standard issue for all women. Hello, Jen here to tell you about this week's episode of The Sunday Chops. Ugh, when's International Men's Day, huh? Well, lads, it's today. Today, if you're listening on Sunday, November the 19th. But you already knew that. Make sure you let Uncle Phil know. Anyway, as you know, Standard Issue is all about the women. But once a year, we allow men to come and have a little natter with us and and talk about the stuff that's going on in their worlds. You'll also know that we think that gender inequality is bad for everyone. And there are a few groups of men who can demonstrate this better than the, wait, hang on, England football team. Stick with me on this. I had the absolute delight to chat to James Graham for this year's International Men's Day episode, writer of some of the best things I've seen on stage and on TV in the last couple of years, including Labour of Love, Queers, Sherwood, to name but three. And James has now written Dear England, a play about the England football team and specifically the man who turned it around for them all, my adoptive father, Gareth Southgate. It's an absolutely cracking play and... I left with some very confusing feelings about the man himself after watching Joseph Fiennes play him. He's not my real dad. Anyway, moving swiftly on from that, the play is showing in London's West End at the moment until the middle of January next year on an extended run after a very successful first outing at the National Theatre. I caught up with James to talk about the play, toxic masculinity, fear of failure, national identity and catching the mood of a nation among other things. He was an absolute joy to talk to. I love his work very much and I really hope that you will enjoy listening to this as much as I enjoyed chatting to him. I'm joined by James Graham, screenwriter, playwright and in fact writer of the very excellent play Dear England about the England football team and in particular the way in which Gareth Southgate has turned it all around for us. Thank you so much for joining me today, James. It's really a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. Cheers. Could you start off with perhaps telling us a little bit about the play? I had the great pleasure of going to see it on Tuesday night and I did some laughs. I did some cries. It was, you know, the, the full gambit of emotion. So do, do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Oh, that's great. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm not like an obsessive football fan but i i do really as a, as a playwright as a dramatist i do really enjoy taking these these often sort of weird institutions that that pepper our public life and and trying to tell a story inside them that might reveal something about our identity or our situation and what it can say about us and i think the english football team's presence in our in our national story has always been really really prevalent and significant and in particular, uh, a few years ago, I just got completely obsessed by what Gareth Southgate was doing and how beyond performance and results and trophies, something way more interesting and existential was happening in terms of how he was transforming not just the performance of the team, but the culture, the feel, the vibe, the soul of a team, how it was feeling way more positive, progressive and transformative than it had for decades and I was just curious how somebody goes about doing that and as soon as I started digging into it and discovering that they really went deep um, on the mindset, psychology, emotional um, qualities to the to the team's identity. They did a lot of politics, they did a lot of history, they did workshops on, on the history of English identity and, and they, they tackled racism and um, masculinity. All the things that I just found so surprising that uh, would be present in a modern uh, sports environment, especially one that has associations, arguably, with a certain kind of toxic masculinity that the big football team does. That they were so um, 
they were so up for it for being vulnerable or testing a new way of working and it just seemed to work. So I love football. I support Charlton Athletic. So, I mean, you you have to have some you love have to, yeah. to, <laughs> to follow a team like Charlton. But I think that football is so interesting in so many ways, what it says about our society, our culture, et cetera, et cetera. But also what it sort of says about the male psyche in particular. Yeah. And, and the way that these kind of different and quite often pretty awful facets of masculinity kind of reveal themselves. Do you do you think that's a sort of fair fair thing to say or Yeah, I mean I think it's it's complicated, isn't it? Because as with everything, maybe there's good and bad. I mean there are some really beautiful and wonderful elements to, to that, that culture and that, that I mean it's basically the only window of time every week where it's okay in a traditional structure for a, for a bloke to go and cry and be really upset about something and get really upset and pog a mate and go I'm really sad about it. because it's centred around something I guess competitive it, it gives you permission to be to be passionate to get excited to, to lower your guard and I think that's all for the good but there's no pretending that there's also some incredibly dark elements to that and that's been that's been shown for decades the, the, the uniquely English problem that international football had in the late 90s and early 90s always being us who who went to foreign towns and smashed them up and like why, what's that about guys I mean what why weren't the Italians doing that why weren't the Spanish doing that what was that about the English identity that meant we we unleashed this anger or something buried in us just got activated in all um, similarly, I hope the play uh, starts to question like what is what is strength? What is is it is it doubling down and 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 um, dip up a lip, crack on, or is it is there strength in being vulnerable? Is there strength in, in, in accept, accepting your fears and sharing those fears with your with your teammates, which is the new culture that, that Gareth and his team have tried to to coax out of the, the squad. Um, and it's certainly the case that the golden generation of football play we had 10 years ago, as we talked about in the play, people like uh, Lampard and, and Beckham and, and uh, Gerrard, the best players we've ever had in a way. And yet we were having the worst performances because they just couldn't be a team. They couldn't bond. They couldn't they couldn't play together. They couldn't play as a unit. Because to do that, you have to be vulnerable. You have to give yourself and, and accept accept your flaws. And, and that's why I think it's so exciting and brilliant about the emotional intelligence of these played like Saka and Kane and uh, I find it really inspiring. One of the big themes of the play is failure or the fear of failure and I guess kind of like other aspects of it like you know male fragility, English fragility. Um, yeah. I wonder what you thought about the, that kind of fear of failure. Do you think that is a particularly male trait? Oh, I don't know, you tell me. I, I think it is how prime when it is I don't know or how cultural it is instead but something yeah something about territory and about winning and about being the top dog and I think that does couple unhelpfully with a sense of Englishness that is about I guess all of these are generalizations of course but a sense of resentment about not quite being where we think we should be or used to be and mourning and grieving and feeling a sense of bitterness about where we were rather than where we are or where we could be and I think if you smash those two things together, the worst aspect, aspects of masculinity with the worst aspects of English exceptionalism, it could be a pretty toxic mix, yeah, and has, has proven to be. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely. I don't. I don't think it's inherent. I think it is definitely more a cultural or societal, like it's sort of the way we're conditioned. I guess it, I think it's more acceptable for women to fail at certain things, and and I guess potentially not in other ways. I guess I don't know. I, that feels true. I can't. Yeah. Yeah. I just feel true. And then, and an example of this is is like this new philosophy of of exactly as you describe. Um, it sounds counterintuitive to some probably pretty hardcore sports fans who um and, and i accept that there's no shame in, in 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 competitive sports and wanting to win and that being ultimately the end result when i went and spent time with garrett southgate I, I was celebrating all of his stuff nice stuff about culture and environment and creating a nicer place to work and be he was still very clear that the absolute end result was to win and unless he brought home some silverware then he'll, he'll feel like he's, he's failed but yes, this new idea came in and actually in the form um, of a lot of different psychologists, sports psychologists, including uh, a really inspiring figure called uh, Pippa Grange, Dr. Pippa Grange, who wrote a book about fear and fear in sport or fear more universally in any environment, in relationships or in the workplace. And how our denial of that, our rejection of fear and pretending it doesn't exist or, or, or not analysing it because of the shame that comes with that and possibly against in that English stiff upper lip that, that you would never you would never learn to lose well. And one of one of her arguments is that and we express it in the play, it's not England doesn't need to learn how to win it, it needs to learn how to lose. And we are terrible at losing. And some people are really brilliant at losing. So famously the German hmm. they mocked to us in the year two thousand, uh, I think, you know, that famous five one defeat. And so traumatizing to the Germans to lose to us to that degree. They went on a decades-long reset, das reboot. They just decided to try and use that moment to create a great um, level of introspection and and come up with solutions. And they completely transformed their game, both, both culturally, but also to funding and training and development. And then they come back 15 years later and they win the World Cup again. We have never been able to do that when we fail. We, we stew and we boil in it and we're angry and resentful and then we just repeat the same mistake again and again and again, which is why we're locked in this really repetitive trauma about 1966, the, the fact that we just, you know, one World Cup and two World Wars, we just can't get over it for some reason and until we learn to lose better. And I think we're getting there. I think the story of Gareth's story is we are learning to lose better and trying to take lessons from it. But it's uh, it's a hard thing to sell, isn't it? Because it sounds so counterintuitive to, in, in the world of elite competitive sport. I, that was one of the, the, the you know, we, we don't need to learn to win, we need to learn to how to lose, was one of the bits yeah. that I, made me feel a bit emotional. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, <laughs> Pippa Grange is a very interesting character in all this because it sort of strikes me that a woman has to come in to sort it all out, basically. <laughs> we have to enlist yeah. a woman to come in and teach us how to have emotions and how to deal with them and how to feel. And uh, she always kind of like reminds me of this sort of like Wendy kind of character. I, I wonder what you thought about that. Yeah, there's a danger to that, isn't it? Because it feels like quite maybe a familiar story where uh, a, a woman comes in and, and knocks the boys' heads together and say, oh, for God's sake, just feel things and you'll be fine. And I think it's actually much more interesting than that, that, that Pippa Grade is a, is a massive sports fan and she desperately, desperately wants her teeth to, to win. She just wants to wants them to win deep and not and not them win shallow and we could, shallow victories aren't good for anyone. And it really, I get very moved when I speak to her about 
this particular element of the work and and she writes about this really well and we express it slightly through her character in the play her, her greatest anger and frustration about particularly male fear is what it robs them of it, it's not what it what it prevents you from doing it, it stops you from having joy and what mm. what what a great tragedy of life if you can't have joy in your in your either in playing your game or in your relationships with your partner or your family um because you're just scared all the time you're scared of humiliating yourself you're scared of being shamed so nothing brings you joy so you stop doing things you either in a in a less significant way you don't make that long pass of the field because you think if you get it wrong the fans will boo you or you don't tell the girl or the boy how you feel because all of your validity comes with being strong and not with being weak and i i really associate with that and, and what fear has played in in my life a bit you know none of that's rocket dying but to to really really call that out in a dressing room and go you're all afraid aren't you and it's okay and so what we're going to do about that and what i started really inspiring from a, from a women's point of view as well is is this philosophy came in this new philosophy to the entirety of the england teams and mm. that includes the under 21 and the women team and the women just nail it so so the men are getting there but that idea of playing without fear and playing with joy and that being okay to go it would be really good if we would all have fun while we play football as well as all the other stuff the women have just demonstrated that to the, to the absolute best capacity but you can see the performance on the pitch they're playing with absolute fearlessness and just really enjoying it and it's inspiring and i think the, the, the men are some way behind on that and arguably that is why the women are the only people to have brought home a trophy since 1966 i you know when i have these conversations with people about with men usually i must say about how uh the, you know the the skill is different or the game is different or it's, it's not the same to watch the women's team as it is to watch the men's team i think there is a quality to the women's game that is so much more entertaining to watch than the men's game and i think that it, it is that fearlessness it is that real passion and i think it is very reductive to bring it all down to all oh, they're rich and they're paid too much and blah 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 but i think for a long time right. in the women's game you had to really really want to be there because there wasn't that much in it for you so i'm like yeah can you imagine like yeah the, the, the stadiums are empty you don't get coverage this a certain level of sneering and stereotypes about the kind of women who play like sports at that level and yeah no completely totally but i think we expressed this in the, the play that the, the men deal with the high expectations and yes. that's terrible but men deal with low expectations it's just a terrible and for whatever reason i feel like the, the the women's team in the past three years have completely liberated themselves from that and it's a very inspiring thing to watch so you actually got to spend time with the man himself Gareth Southgate and what was that like it was brilliant I am walking up to the the training ground at St George's all my imposter syndrome kicked in a little bit and I remember what it was like to to put my PEQ on as an 11 year old boy at school and feel completely inadequate and like it was going to get bowed out um but it was a it's a great play and he is just as you as you would entirely expect incredibly decent humble and generous generous in the sense that actually he's not hugely comfortable with there being a famous actor playing him on stage and and because he himself yeah. is also a storyteller yeah. how, how he controls the narrative not in a dominant way but how how those players and they use this language uh, how they're trying to write new stories and be in charge of their own narrative here's a playwright in London sort of writing their story even before it's 
ender to an extent. So I think he just thinks, gosh, that's quite a lot. But because he's so nice and decent, he still couldn't say no to me and say, can I come and spend time with you? So um, he gave me a day and introduced me to his team and, and, and I got under the bonnet a bit of how you win in English and an England football team and the philosophy that's guiding it. It was a real, a real privilege. All right, Mickey here with an advert for BetterHelp Therapy Online. You all right? Such a small question and sometimes such a big question too, eh? Now, regular listeners will know I am no stranger to depression and while over time and with the help of some decent counselling and brilliant friends and family, I've established a toolkit to help when the constantly dripping tap of life gets a bit too much. That does not mean I am a stress-free human rainbow skipping through meadows. I mean, who is? We all carry around different stresses, big and small, and sometimes we can deal, and sometimes it's much harder to cope. Why fit it? Right now, I have a teenage puppy to deal with, and although I love her very, very much, she can be a lot. There, said it. And as quick a fix as it seems to say, I'm fine, I'm fine, and push it all down into the big inside box and put that lid on. For me, that hasn't been a great long-term solution in that if I don't get it off my chest, it will at some point come bubbling up and it's never been one to pick its moments in a good way. I find talking means I can avoid it exploding out of me like a messy emotional volcano all over my nana's carpet. Also, during my various times in talk therapy, I discovered that saying something out loud or writing it down can make it seem much more manageable than allowing it to swirl around and grow ever bigger in my head. If you're thinking of starting therapy, Give BetterHelp a try. I've found knowing how to reach out is sometimes the toughest bit, but BetterHelp is entirely online. Boom. Which means it couldn't be easier. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist, then work your sessions around your schedule. With more than a 1,000 therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Standard issue listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash standard. That's betterhelp.com slash standard. I've said this on the podcast a lot, so uh, it would be very familiar territory to, to our listeners, but I kind of want Gareth Southgate to adopt me. That's sort of how <laughs> I feel about him. And I, yeah. I think that... The redemption arc of Gareth Southgate is one of the greatest love stories of the 21st century. Like, I genuinely think it's just, you know, in 2018, and, and you capture it so brilliantly in the play, you know, the whole, like, oh, Gareth Southgate, oh, you know, what? why have we got him? Like, what? what is this, you know, loser, basically? Why is this loser coming in? Well, you know, what people, I guess, who maybe don't follow football so much wouldn't necessarily have known like you know the incredible impact he was having on the on the youth team at the time when he was brought in I think they won did they win like the under 17s world cup obviously they've all now come into his senior squad and that's been a been a great thing about it but yeah I just think like the redemption arc of Gareth Southgate is just the most heartwarming and, and wonderful tale and I kind of think that like what he's done for the England team in a lot of ways, certainly at that time, and I'll, I'll come on to the present day in a minute because I do have some things to say about that, but at that time, during that World Cup, I think that kind of translated, that that kind of followed through into the rest of the country. What, what do you think about that? 
without question. That's why I started to want to write it. But I'm glad you think that about his his arc because, I mean, in a way, from a from a dramatist point of view, it's almost too perfect. Like if I if I hadn't made that up, it would be really cheesy. The guy who very painfully went through that that experience in 1996 of missing a penalty when we were hosting the Euros and you know denying us the chance to get to the first final since the 66 and him, him spending 20 years with that trauma and coming back and using it to to help a, a younger team of players deal with the pressure of taking a penalty kick and breaking the penalty curse England had never won a penalty shootout in a World Cup ever, and it was Gareth Southgate who did it. It's it's, it's beautiful, and I love it, and I love it for all those reasons. But so even so, in Russia, twenty eighteen, when that when that moment happened, and it happened for him personally, stood there in his waistcoat, having <laughs> um, that personal redemption, but that that um, redemption for the entire nation as well. I was incredibly moved by it, but I also, I think what you're saying is entirely correct. Something else was going on. It is harder to define. It's a mood, it's a feeling. But everyone just started to feel really, really good about these lads and about what they represented in terms of values, how you carry yourself, your your conduct on the pitch, how you handle each other. I, even people who don't care about football, like my my mum doesn't really follow it, but when I spoke to her about it, she just she she just kept saying, "Yeah, I just I just seem to really like these guys. I don't know why. I just think these are really good guys." And four or five years ago, we were booing them off the mm. pitch, and then thought they were bad role models, the excess, or because of that, we assumed they didn't care, and they were just like you say, rich and famous, and weren't putting the time into international games like they did their clubs. And I never thought that was true, but. Obviously, the unspoken thing here is is what else is going on in the country at the time, which is the most chaotic, difficult, divisive period in modern British and English history. And against that backdrop of things feeling like they're falling apart or a real existential crisis in terms of our national identity and feeling good about our national identity, here's this guy just being really decent and good and cracking on and, and trying to, to make his team not just perform well but behave well and I, I think that that bled out like you say I knew something was happening as, as early as, as that that tournament three tournaments ago so I to pick like a, I guess an obvious example Raheem Sterling for example who I see you know you forget he was I think he was a teenager in 2010 at, at that world cup when we left like horribly early you know yeah. he was basically a child and uh, the amount of abuse that he got, obviously, with a horrible racist undercurrent in the press. And I think I always felt he looked scared in that shirt. He looked frightened. He didn't know what to do. The ball would come to him when in the Euros in um, 2016. Sorry, the World Cup yes. wasn't 2010. When was it? It must have been 2012. Well, yeah. Anyway. But yeah, in the in the Euros in twenty sixteen, which obviously was a disaster, like he looked frightened when the ball came to him. He looked like something was holding him back. And I think to see the way that Gareth Southgate has made those boys want to play for him and succeed yep. for him and the joy that it brings them is an incredible thing to see. And I think a lot of that is to do with expectation as well, like the weight of expectation. But I think also this national identity thing that you're talking about is really yeah. interesting. This kind of like I think we're very confused about who we are 
you know, this yeah. once great nation or whatever. And we like to believe that we are still this great nation and people care about us. And, and in reality, we're a bit of a laughing stock. Do you, do you think that sort of like, you know, cuts quite deeply to the, the English psyche? I'm obsessed by this question. I'm not a therapist and I don't think I can diagnose the uh. psyche specifically, but I do think it feels true that, look, you're never going to have a healthy, happy existence if you're in denial about who you are and the reality of your circumstances. And it's okay for your circumstances to change, to improve or to get worse, as long as you are able to to find meaning and strength in that in that moment and that can be as an individual or as a country and then there's something about the english condition which if we just found peace with our new inheritance and where we are in the world and began to as gareth southgate uses this phrase begin to write new stories for the real england that we are rather than harking back to narratives and stories that we inherit about the past and being a great power and empire and things it's not talking your country down to just accept the reality of where you are and then find excitement and joy and, and strength about that. But because we don't quite do that and because we have this level of um, resentment maybe that gets passed down, I think that leads to poor decisions. And I'm not making any comments about recent decisions, including that famous one in 2015, which tied in meet you with the start of this, mm. this story. But arguably, whether the, the, the plus or the, the negatives of deciding to make that choice in that referendum and there are good reasons and bad reasons a decision based on bitterness and anger and resentment i think that's where it ties in thematically yeah. to what happened on the pitch if you mm-hmm. are you're playing with anger if you're playing with frustration that you can't handle the expectation because you're not living in some kind of truth then you're not going to perform well and i don't feel like we are performing well as a nation because we are not accepting the true situation anymore and so we're never going to reset, never going to reinvent, never going to reform because we're still living in the past. Now, I don't want to get into the negativity of recent events, but I am going to. So I didn't watch the last World Cup, despite being a very big football fan. I boycotted it. I decided I didn't want to have anything to do with it. And, and obviously, you know, we could debate all day, I'm sure, the rights and wrongs of that and, you know, the, yeah. the double standards and... You know, will we be making a fuss when we go to America and women's rights are being, you know, really fucked about with women over there, yeah. for want of better words? Will we be talking about, you know, the the human rights in, in that situation? Probably not, no. But I kind of felt like the whole vibe of it, this sort of brilliant Southgate era, it, I felt like it was sort of sullied a little bit. And... When I think about it, like, you know, it, it, they're in an impossible situation, really, aren't they? Because they can't be everything to everyone. But it did feel so disappointing to me, the stance that was, was taken over the, the armbands of the LGBTQ plus rights, et cetera, et cetera. It sort of took the shine off it a bit for me. Do you, do you think there is a danger that we, that our expectations of the England team and Gareth Southgate are sort of really high in a different way now? I think that's totally fair. And I felt many personal things during that time and even though I tried to keep sort of an empathetic nuanced hat on and going gosh well what what an impossible standard I'm setting myself and you're allowed to feel all those things and I, I still don't know what the right thing to do was mm. but it, it, in a way I get the he's a victim of, of the standards he set for himself by being so impossibly good and and decent and mm. then and then with something incredibly complicated comes along uh, uh, and the standards you set for yourself come back on you on yourself but uh, 
I don't blame you at all. I know. And look, it, it, the culture war, isn't it? As well, I'm not saying mm. that was you driving you, but you know, my local MP in Ashfield, um, Lee Anderson, he boycotted the Euros because for the polar opposite reason, because they were taking a stand. If the players were taking a knee during the the aftermath of the death of George George Floyd, and wanting to show solidarity with their black players, which seems to me perfectly reasonable yeah. and beautiful stance to take of the team. He took exception to it, so he boycotted that. And then the aggressive left, they boycotted Qatar. And it is impossible to be a team for all people. And but well, I mean, maybe maybe to resemble us, these players have never just been players. Soon as kids, little boys and little girls, put your poster up on a bedroom wall or wear your name on your back, you're going to be a role model. You're going to represent something more than just a sport. And that is another burden they carry, and some carry it really. Where, like it marks Rashford, Raheem Sterling, these are people who like set that responsibility and that burden and in, in, in my own opinion really nail it in finding expression for particular causes. I don't think that's going away. I don't I don't think politics is leaving the sport no. anytime soon. We're gonna have we're gonna find ourselves continually with contradictory feelings about what's happening and, and what we think the best response from the English football team is meant to be. So I wanted to ask you, because you've written some like incredible plays and TV over the last few years. I saw Labour of Love when that was showing, um, which was fantastic. The Uncivil War quiz. Sherwood was just about one of the, I don't want to blow smoke up your ass, James, but I'm going to, just about one of the best things I've seen on TV in forever. I think one of the things that you do so beautifully is that you really, really tap into the mood of a nation at a specific point in time. And, and what is going on around it. Like, I, I think you did that even in quiz, which is, you know, like absolutely yeah. brilliantly. Is that something that you sort of always try to do with your work? Is that one of the themes that you always want to bring out is what, what is going on in the country and, and, and how the mood is? Yeah, I mean, very consciously, actually, and I, I, I'm sure I sometimes get close to that and sometimes fail in that, but that is that is the aspiration because I, I just think that's the joy of finding these stories, especially these these idiosyncratic or eccentric pockets of our national life or our history and using them as some sort of vessel to make sense of I, th- I almost think of them as anxieties whatever the current anxiety mm. nation is or myself at that time so you mentioned quiz which which is actually just a bit of a silly story about um, a, a coughing major who did or did not cheat his way to a mm. million on a, on a game show but it, into that I, I saw an opportunity to I guess talk about what at that time was, was my chief anxiety which was about truth and what can be known anymore and, and here's the story using the format of questions and answers and, and facts and uh, I guess also to an extent to do with mob, mob justice and all that stuff so you can always find these these ways in and, and thank you I'm really glad you like show because that meant a lot to me that one that was mm. set in my hometown former mining village and, and I guess into that I guess you know that was a police procedure about a manhunt but but I was I, I I was allowed to have space I think to try and explore um, similar stuff to Dear England really you know it baffles me that I I just did it just then talking to you but that I still refer to myself as coming from a former mining town and I think there's a little speech that Leslie Manville gave at the end of the series about if even the language you use is about what you what you aren't anymore and that's what kids grow up to to describe themselves as being something mm. that they no longer aren't. 
I'm sure that seeps down to your subconscious and, and, and limits your capacity to imagine a different different way. And I guess, yeah, the divisiveness of the mind is strike being used to look at the, the, the new tensions, social fabric frame, is it, that we have now. It's a privilege. I just feel left just for dead lucky. I get given these chances to take um, stories and use them as therapy for myself <laughs> or some other people as well if they want to go on it right. I just want to ask you very quickly because you said you've been in Nottingham and I know that there's a second series of Sherwood was commissioned. I was very intrigued thinking about what you would do with it. Can you say anything about it at all or, or is it completely off limits at the moment? I don't know. I mean, I, I won't hashtag spoiler, but yeah, it's a, it's almost a brand new story. So some of the characters come back. We have David Morrissey returning and Leslie Manville returning. Thank God, because I love Leslie Manville so much. How can you not? The Sparrow crime family come back, and and for me, it was about it was about liberating myself from expect a bit like Gareth Southgate's team, liberating myself from expectations of what you should do in a second series, and actually just going, well, what's the next story I want to tell? He uses a real life tragedy, a real life crime, and that 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 somehow exists in dialogue with the past and the legacy of industry and these these red war towns that we're seemingly obsessed with at the moment. So it's a new crime, a real-life crime, to do with gun violence in Nottingham in the early noughties and how that once again threatens to to open up old wounds within a community that's already pretty tempt. Well, I'm very, very excited to watch it when, when it's on. Where can we follow you on social media if we want to keep up to date with the many things that you are writing coming up? I am on Twitter, Mr. James Graham, and likewise, same handle, I think, on Instagram, yet to join TikTok. James, thank you so much for joining me. It's been lovely to talk. Standard Issue for All Women.